Well, hello there. This is Drew Neal, and you are listening to the Generation One Church Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope your day is going great. And man, we just had a fantastic weekend. Let me just tell you about it real quick. We had on the... Uh, the fifth Saturday of the month, we're starting kind of a new series of of just emphasis, and uh, the fifth Saturday is sometimes an odd Saturday when you're in the church world, because oftentimes we do things in routines and patterns, and we like them in weeks of four, or first week, second week, third week, we think that way. Anyways, so the four times a year, you have a fifth week in the month, and we just thought it'd be great to kind of draw a line in the sand for this week and say, this is a week we're dedicating to hunger, to to encounter, to worship, to just extravagant experiences in God's presence. And we have called this night Revival Nights. And we had our second one that we've done uh, this last Saturday night. And man, it was just so good. The place was packed. People came in hungry. They came in early. Uh, we had just a tremendous time. I, I, You know, it's so amazing because you can just feel the stuff right from like pre-service prayer and some of those early moments where you're just kind of leaning into the service. And man, the place was just on fire. It was so, so good. And man, the experiences people had, uh, the encounters that people had. Man, we got swept away in God's presence, and it was just really, really special. And so, man, if you're hungry for a move of God, you're hungry to be in the flow of what God is doing, uh, this is something that Generation One, we've we've sold out for. It's who we've always been. It's who we'll continue to be, and just just dreaming with God about what's possible when our gaze is fixed on Him. We come together full of faith. And uh, it's just so exciting. And so, you know, we're passionate when we gather to have things be possible that wouldn't normally be possible because you're in the room and God rests on you. He rests in you. And when you get this many believers together, man, we just believe special things can begin to happen. So we're waiting on a few healing reports, excited to share those things. And uh, we like to get those medically certified before we share them. Uh, But man, there was some powerful moving happening in there in the room and man the prophetic ministry that happened um in the service was so razor sharp uh just you know obviously if you've been a generation one before you know we're a very encouraging body uh but man sometimes there's just moments where you feel weight on prophetic ministry that is literally shifting and altering the course of people's lives and there are multiple experiences like that and so it was just very, very good. So, man, if you were out and you were encouraged, man, share the testimonies. We would love to hear them. And, uh, and let's just jump back in this week. We're excited about it. So we didn't have a message for Revival Nights. It's really a night of encouragement um, if, uh, from a, a spirit standpoint. And so we're wide open. And, of course, we celebrate kind of these encouraging moments and, and times to dive in and be reminded about God's Word in that sense. Uh, but we didn't necessarily have a, a, a long-gated message form that uh, continued our series. And so we are in a series right now, and it is called Written. And uh, we're just excited. We are in a 30 for 30 challenge. We are reading the New Testament in 30 days by reading for 30 minutes a day. And so it's just super fun. We're in Corinthians right now and lots of good stuff happening. And so, uh, but I want to take the time to, uh, because we didn't have a message last week, to just 
really hit the book of Romans with you. Uh, you you can't do an overview on the on the New Testament and skip Romans. So uh, we wanted to kind of uh, t- pick up right where we left off. Uh, Jeff uh, wrapped up our uh, overview on the book of John and Acts a few weeks ago. And so if you missed that last podcast, make sure you grab that. Jeff did a great job. So I just want to start with you about, you know, about the book of Romans and and just take a deep dive into what we really believe um, that Paul was really wanting to accomplish in this book. And so, yes, Paul is the author of the book of Romans. And and I really believe that this is his pinnacle work. And if you're going to really understand uh, the fullness of what is being accomplished in Romans, you got to know that where it's falling at in the timeline. This is known as Paul's last book that he wrote that was canonized. This was most likely written in somewhere around 57 AD. Paul lost, uh, lost his life uh, between 64 and 67 AD during the time of Nero, uh, most likely after the fires. Uh, Nero had a heavy persecution season uh, with the Christians, really through his entire reign in Rome. Uh, but those years, 50, uh, 64 to 67, were pretty intense, and it's what led to really the, the revolt in Jerusalem in 68. Um, actually, uh, may have started in 67, but... Um, so there was a heavy, heavy time of persecution by the ruler in Rome, who was Nero, and and Paul most likely lost his life. So this is the last work that he would have written, and it is really, it's the crown jewel of the New Testament, if you ask me. Uh, it is the absolute most vivid, dramatic, and yet also, also intentionally structured uh, written work that Paul had. And so there's a very interesting kind of cadence. You see it kind of in four steps, chapters 1 through 4, 5 through 8, 9 through 11, 12 through 16. And and Paul is accomplishing different things in this book. And so, um, but, you know, many, uh, Romans is famous, you know, uh, if you came up in evangelical America, uh, you know, kind of this idea of the Romans road was very popular. And it was this idea that you could kind of take people through the book of Romans and highlight certain scriptures and, excuse me, uh, you'd be able to, you know, get people from the place of realizing what their life without Jesus was to uh, what life with Jesus could be like and then how to accept Jesus. And so Romans was very popular in that sense. Um, you know, Romans is really, it, it's the it's the overview of Paul's Christology. It's 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 his version of the good news. If he was going to write a gospel about the good news, this is Paul's response to that. And it's so powerful, though, because it's not it's written in a Jewish way, but it's not really written to the Jews. There there were Jews that were in Rome. Obviously, this is the book of Romans. So this was written to Roman citizens or people who were living in Rome. And there were Jews that were living there. Um, but it was not um, this was not the book of you know, trying to validate Jesus as Messiah to the Jews. That's really what the Gospels were accomplishing, was that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the King of the Jews. And the Gospels were written back to document that it was true that he was their king for that people group. And so here's Paul showing up with his take on the reality that Jesus was Messiah But really, Paul's desire is to build a case that Jesus was the Messiah for the world. 
And and so it's really quite provoking that he would, you know, let this be his last written work was that he wanted to build a case that the whole world could be saved. Um, and, and for all of us that have grown up in, in church, you know, we we embrace this idea very easily, very uh, candidly, where we, we say these things. Of course, God loves the whole world. He gave his life for the whole world, you know, that all of us could be saved. All of us can be in the kingdom. All of us are sons and daughters, um, that we can have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But you have to realize that this was one of the most uh, heretical um positions to hold that Jesus came to save the whole world. Peter had a hard time with it. The early church had a hard time with it. Um, the Jews in, in Jerusalem would have had a hard time with this idea. They had a hard time even believing that their own brothers and sisters were included. I mean, there were you know so many different ideologies, and, and people had kind of camped around certain scriptures to prove that they were the more important Jews than the others, and the aristocrats, and the Samaritans, and you know all the different people groups that were there were all trying to corner the market, much as, as we see denominationalism today and the Protestant movement, it was there within the Jews. And so um, they were still trying to figure out who had the best theology and the, the highest place or the highest form of worship. And Paul's out here saying, hey, guys, while you're arguing, I'd, I'd kind of like just to let you know that every everyone gets access to Jesus, that Jesus gets to be the Messiah of the whole world world. And so it's quite riveting. Um, you really see that, um, you know, Romans deals with the central issue of every generation's faith. And Paul in his writing is really, he goes out of his way to talk about um, about the one true God. And, and the Greek word theos is the word that shows up. And it, it shows up, you know, you know, so much more often than his other writings. And, and it's almost like this, this case is being built throughout Romans about who God really is, the identity of God, his nature, um, the covenant of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God. And then he's really setting this up that the, the, the nature of God or who God is in his identity is fully accessible through Jesus. And, and Paul really spends time talking about who has access to Jesus that then makes the covenant, the righteousness, the justice, the nature of God, if you will, available to them. And, and so ultimately, you know, you could really see, you know, the book of Romans is the, God's revelation of himself and purpose in Jesus. And, uh, you know, Paul states, you know, he goes all the way from starting in and uh, chapters one through four, really building the case for Jesus as the Messiah for the Jews, and uh, you know, and and really building a case for what that good news really looks like. But he doesn't just stay there. You know, the gospel stay there that Jesus was the King of the Jews. Um, Paul doesn't just talk about uh, about the fact that God wanted to do something for Israel. Paul really spends his time talking about that God wanted to do something through Israel for the whole earth. And so it's it's just so powerful because Paul starts in, in chapter 1 and then he ends in 16 talking about this power of Messiah. And uh, and so uh, it's just this powerful journey that he takes us through. And and so, uh, you know, you see in chapter 2 um, that there's this, there's this unveiled plan of God judging the world through Jesus. And isn't it amazing that you know, uh, you know, this when people would bring their lamb for sacrifice, um, 
you know, they would never inspect the person to see if the sacrifice was good. They would never inspect the sacrifice to see if the sacrifice was, or if the person was worthy of the sacrifice. They would always look at the lamb to see if the lamb was spotless. And if the lamb was spotless, the sacrifice would work. And and it's so just so powerful here because um, Jesus was was the sacrifice that God uh, that God allowed to be the 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 justification for the world. God has judged the world through Jesus. And, uh, and so we see that, um, you know, Paul begins a detail in this first segment of chapters one through four um, about Jesus was Messiah. This was God's unveiled plan. He was going to judge the world through Jesus, that through his death and then also his resurrection that we all would be justified. <laughs> I mean, this is some good news here right now. Um, you see him really shift gears and 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 five six seven and eight and and he begins to really talk about what is available through Jesus and I tell you what if 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 you uh, you want to get wrecked on the goodness of God you just sit down and you read those chapters and get reminded about what's available in Christ um, we find out that we're we're dead to sin and alive unto God. We find out what it means that all things are possible. We find out what it means to be in Christ and as a son and that all things work together for good. And uh, there's just so many powerful promises of what it means to walk as uh, a new covenant believer in the righteousness uh, in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you know, you really see a shift of the authority of of Messiah. And the, the authority of that work in 9, 10, and 11. And this is actually where I want to camp for a moment because, you know, many of you have heard, you know, Romans 10, 9, and 10, uh, this, you know, famous passage of Scripture. And I wanted to, you know, just take a moment and talk about this because uh, I think it's important for us to um, realize what Paul was um, wanting to accomplish uh, with this Scripture, you know. Uh, because this is it's super popular and it has become kind of a a formula, if you will, that uh, I think sometimes can eliminate us from really um, seeing the wonder and and the power of of what's available um, in in salvation, if you will. And so Romans ten nine and ten says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved and you know obviously this is a beautiful passage of scripture of just you know giving us the opportunity to understand how to believe and then to you know profess that Jesus is lord and it has become kind of the formula, though, for the one-stop shop way that you're guaranteed saved. And, <laughs> and it's just so fun because, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, he, he never needed a formula to bring people into salvation. And uh, for some of you, this is going to be difficult to hear because you like the formula. You like the thing that's surefire. You like, you like the thing that you know is, is, um, is easy to duplicate. And, and yet, there are, I found that there are so many instances where people, uh, they, they have this moment where they say the magic prayer 
And yet they have to go on a really deep, long journey to discover transformation. And, and, and yet there are also people who say the prayer, and in that moment, they are just absolutely blown away, and uh, they're radically, radically changed in that moment. And so um, I, I like to believe that, you know, many can, can have saved hearts but still maintain pagan minds. And I've seen this time and time again where people, they come into situations, they get pressured in or by fear, they say this thing, they get scared into their salvation and and they say this prayer and yet their lives don't transform. They, they think about Jesus, but they don't actually begin to think like Jesus. And I think this is a real challenge uh, for the church uh, because we don't just need people with saved hearts and pagan minds. We need people to actually uh, get discipled and begin to look like Jesus, love like Jesus, disciple others like Jesus discipled. And so to do that, we got to get discipled. And this is central to the experience, I believe, of of the overall goal of, of transformation, which is not just about forgiveness. You know, when you're just centered on forgiveness, you're very sin conscious, and you're just trying to deal with your mistakes. But I don't really believe that Jesus came just to forgive your sins. I believe he came so that he came so that you could be whole. He came so that you could be saved body, soul, and spirit. The word sozo is the Greek word for salvation you find in the New Testament, and it means to be saved, healed, delivered, or rescued. And I really believe that this is about, you know, us being healed in our bodies. I believe the same blood that has washed us white as snow uh, is the same body that was broken Uh, for us so that our bodies could be healed. I believe emotional health. I believe spiritual health, physical health. Um, Wholeness is really the end game of what Jesus is saving us from. He's saving us from brokenness. He's saving us from shame. He's saving us from uh, heartache and And so when you have a formula of just say the prayer and move on, you really miss out on the journey that God is inviting us into of becoming disciples, of of becoming that reflection of Jesus in the earth. And, you know, one of the reasons why Paul wrote this, you know, so you'd say, well, Drew, what's the challenge here? Why did Paul write this? Well, it was because he's writing to Roman citizens. Paul's writing to Roman citizens here, and to become a Roman citizen, you had to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Caesar was Lord. This was this was Paul ripping a page out of Roman culture. This was Paul, you know, saying, hey, you know this thing that you've had to do for Rome to become a Roman citizen, which he was very versed in. Uh, Paul was a Roman citizen, which means Paul would have gone through the ceremony of declaring that Caesar was Lord. He would have confessed with his mouth. He would have had to do it. It's the only way you could become a Roman citizen. And, and so he's saying, hey, you know this cultural construct that you all are all living in uh, for Roman citizenship? Well, the same thing you've done to be a Roman citizen, this is what you need to do to become a citizen of heaven. You need to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And so Paul, more than giving us a formula for perfect salvation, was meeting the need of a cultural limitation that was found in Roman culture because they were Roman citizens. And so he spends his time here really wanting to set up the Romans to know how to begin to delineate what was a cultural thing and, excuse me, getting into a deep transformation, transformational work. Sorry, I got the 
soda is bubbling up here. It, uh, lunch is talking back. <laughs> but, you know, so there's a need for us to realize what this is and how to engage uh, the Christology that Paul is going after here. And so, uh, and so is there, is there anything, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Romans 10, 9, and 10. I just want us to realize that ultimately we are wanting to get people into not just the discipline of confessing that Jesus is Lord, but getting into the heart transformation encounter to know that Jesus is Lord, to feel that Jesus is Lord, to be discipled into a renewed mind experience so that they can think like Jesus is Lord. And so, uh, and so I think it's essential that we, we steward that responsibility and understand what that looks like, okay? And so the next great pillar to me in Romans is Romans 12. And this is my absolute most favorite passage in the whole Bible. And it says, you know, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, this is 12 verse 1, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Isn't it interesting that you're not transformed by confessing that Jesus is Lord? <laughs> you are secure, but you are not transformed to look like Jesus. Um, and so there is a there is a process here. And it goes on and says that by that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I love how it says you may prove the acceptable and perfect will of God. And so we're all in a journey here of discovery of the goodness of God, of the grace of God, of the love of God, and and it takes us being willing to not look like the world, but to actually be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is the washing of the word, right? The word rhema, the word logos, and the word graphe, all three experiences, and ta- uh, taking up residency um, in our lives. We need Jesus to be vibrant and alive in us, and then also moving through us. And so Paul goes on to talk about the gifts of grace and the true marks of a Christian and what that looks like. And, and oftentimes people call these the encouraging gifts. You find those, um, you know, they're uh, in 12, uh, 3, through, uh, 3 through 8. And these are powerful gifts that are needed in the church to really get us to where we need, okay? And so Paul really spends, you know, really creating protocol, chapter 12 through chapter 16, for what it means to demonstrate the Christian life. And so 1 through 4 is God's plan for the whole world. 5 through 8 is that the access is through Jesus. 9 through 11 is is really getting out of these paradigms of of our cultural um, competing commitments and then uh, 12 through 16, getting us to the point to, to actually demonstrate and have a protocol in our lives to demonstrate what that actually looks like. And so, man, I encourage you to read the book of Romans. This will change your life. Paul was fully convinced that nothing could separate us from the love of God. And we need people who have that same level 
of conviction about who God is and what it means to be centered and founded in this remarkable love. Well, hey, I hope this was encouraging for you today. We know we are we just are passionate about the word of God, but we're not just passionate about the information. We really believe that the information is an invitation to be transformed as you interact with the being that has inspired the scriptures. And so, man, we don't just want to we don't want to just have relationship with information. We want spirit and truth. And so I hope that as you step into this, I would just encourage you, before you sit down and read, just say, Holy Spirit, I invite you into this moment to lead me, to guide me, to teach me in all things. Have a John 14, John 15 moment of, of, of where Jesus encouraged the disciples to know that the Spirit of God would be the one that would lead them. And so I believe the Spirit will lead you through through the scriptures and and will highlight truth and will give you understanding of how they come together. And so, man, have an encounter with the Word of God. <laughs> Don't just settle for reading. Have an encounter with the Word. That's what it's made to do is to, to bring you into enriching experiences. And so, man, I hope this is encouraging for you. And thanks for tuning in today. And uh, make sure you jump in next week as we continue our series. We're going to be talking about Paul's ministry throughout uh, his work with the Gentiles. It's really going to be amazing. And uh, God bless you guys. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll talk to you soon.